What's up, everybody? You're listening to New Generation. You listen to the New Generation Sports Talk podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Stewart. I like the sound of that. Uh, it's always great when you when you hear my voice to start out. But yes, um, I am hosting this week's episode of Sports Talk. Uh, EJ is still with us in spirit and in voice, but just not in person. <laughs> in, in spirit makes it sound like I'm dead. Yeah, I know. <laughs> relax. Yes, yeah, I know. Exactly. My, relax. The stories of my the stories of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. So as you hear, as you can hear, EJ is still still with us. Um, but you know, I have usurped him as the host for this week's episode. Um, EJ is uh, on remote, so uh, on a remote location. EJ, you excited for this ep- this week's episode of Sports Talk? We have kind of a dead period in the in the sports world, but we obviously still were able to come together some interesting topics. Yeah, uh, not as excited now that I, I've apparently been usurped on New Generation Sports Talk, but uh, for the week, uh, yeah, yeah uh, let's keep it second billing. <laughs> but um, no, this should be a good show. I'm excited. Uh, like you said, this is kind of. I saw someone. Uh, I think Bill Simmons said that you know, like last week and this week are like you know, the the most dead times in sports, and it's pretty much accurate. Uh, you're in the dog days of, of summer in regards to baseball, especially once August comes, because then the trade deadline passed. Uh, so and then you're really, really like just wait to get to September, so you get the playoff round of football and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, I mean, you know. There's still some interesting stories that came out, so uh, we were talking a lot. It should be an eclectic uh, a survey of stories and sports, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, nah, I mean, uh, we're going to talk uh, AD. Um, obviously, he got moved to the Lakers, and Steve Kerr has some interesting things to say about the process that went, uh, that, you know, went about with his trade request, uh, what it means for the NBA going forward. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, another player, another star player in the league that could be on the move potentially. Uh, we'll talk about Bradley Beal, uh, whether or not he, we think he'll be on the move, whether or not he'll uh, sign an extension in Washington. Um, and we have some good, we have some interesting NFL nuggets. Obviously, training camp is uh, starting up around the league. Veterans and rookies have reported in most places. So we have some interesting things to talk about uh, with guys like Odell Beckham, uh, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, um, and then of course we'll have Flames Trash and uh, Kendall's Court. But uh, to start out, we're going to talk about the Steve Kerr Anthony Davis situation. Um, so Steve Kerr uh, uh, was—I'm not exactly sure where he made these comments, but I believe he's on a Warriors podcast. I Warriors think. podcast. Okay, so Steve yeah. Kerr uh, on a Warriors podcast, not as good as ours. Um, <laughs> but shout out to the Warriors. Podcast. Yeah, shout out to the Warriors that. podcast. I believe that's what it's called, if I'm not mistaken. But um, hey, well, I think Warriors Insiders podcast. Yeah, the Warriors Insiders podcast. He said, "Quote: I'm talking more about Anthony Davis about the Anthony Davis situation, where a guy is perfectly healthy and has a couple of years left on his deal, and says I want to leave. That's a real problem that the league has to address, and that the players have to be careful with. If you come to an agreement with with the team that." Hey, it's probably best for us to part ways. That's one thing, but the Davis stuff was really kind of groundbreaking, and hopefully not a trend because it's bad for the league. Uh, I don't think he's exaggerating when he says it was groundbreaking. <laughs> um, certainly, kind of came out of nowhere. But um, is is EJ is is uh, Steve Kerr's sentiment uh, correct? And how do you feel about Steve Kerr being the one to say that? Because there's been some pushback from some guys like Kendrick Perkins who have called it hypocritical. Yeah. 
Yeah, this was uh, I, I found this the way this story kind of you know uh, escalated uh, through uh, through the pushback Kurt got, and it's kind of a, I guess it's not that surprising in hindsight, but I found it surprising in, in, in the beginning of it because I feel like uh, Kurt's comments are pretty accurate and pretty pretty fair. I think. Um, look, I think when it comes to the Warriors and Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr, I don't think, is very liked around the league in regards to fans and, and opposing teams. It's quite frankly, uh, you know, there's a lot of jealousy there. You know, Kerr right. uh, came into a great situation that was uh, that was uh, set up by Mark Jackson, took them to become this dynasty. Uh, he is, I think, I, I think he's, I, you know, I think some people think he's arrogant. I think that he gets a bad rap for that. I just think he's very outspoken. I think the um, funny guy. And yeah, and when you people really don't funny. like the Warriors, I don't like the Warriors. I thought Steve Kerr was funny when you know they were winning championships. Kept, Actually, once Durant they, wasn't around. <laughs> once, yeah, exactly. Once Durant came, it, it went yeah. from like funny to like ha ha ha, so funny. Like Chris Paul, like the Chris Paul, the literal Chris Paul gif of him laughing at Steve Kerr is. Yeah, like, I think people. I think people. I think that 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 Chris Paul meme is like pretty much how people just look at Steve Kerr. Yeah, now. it's so, like ha ha ha, uh, screw you. Yeah, <laughs> and like you know, he's not talking about you know. Obviously, where whether your political leanings are, when you talk about politics, perhaps it's a little different. When you come to basketball, type of thing, people kind of look at him like, "Haha, shut up! You're the most, you know, uh, in basketball sense, privileged uh, individual we have." So I think he gets somewhat of a bad rap for that. But in terms of just the substance of what he's saying, he's not wrong. I mean, I don't know how anyone could look at what happened with uh, AD and say that that was good for the league. Um, it created a a a, a circus. Um, in a town that was uh, that you know you had, you had one of you had a player who was beloved, uh, university beloved by a fan base, and university beloved around the league. Because of the situation, his his deciding to kind of blow up an NBA season in the middle of it by demanding a trade and and demanding it to pretty much only one team. Uh, it caused a pretty chaotic situation, and I think some people are kind of looking at him and say, "Well, number one." You got Kevin Durant, so you shouldn't be talking. Well, that's kind of ridiculous because Kevin Durant, you know, was signed. Now, yes, I agree that Kevin Durant was also bad for the league, him going to to, to the Warriors. But just because Steve benefited from something else that was bad in the league, that shouldn't mean he shouldn't be allowed to say something else was also bad for the league. So I I, I don't I think it's kind of apples and oranges. Um, the second point I heard, which Ken Perkins kind of drilling home, is the idea that you know, hey, like you know, I know Alvin Gentry's your boy. And obviously, how that whole played out, Gentry said that it was. I had sent, he kind of had similar quotes occur during the season where he was like, "This is something unlike anything I've ever seen," and um, and, and was really. Uh, I think he was more more uh, more muted in his like pushback to '80s antics, but he definitely made it clear that he wasn't happy with them. So people were looking at that connection and the fact that uh, that Curry, you know, didn't really mention Paul George. Uh, saying that he wanted to leave as well uh, this summer. Again, I think that some of these situations you got to kind of take into its own consider into each situation. Like Paul George, that was something that happened after the season was over, during the offseason, which is where a lot of these trade demands normally happen. I can't really remember a time where a guy in the middle of a season, in recent memory, like a superstar, was like, I'm, I, you need to trade me now, and I want to go to this team. A year and a half left on his deal. Uh, I don't know how anyone could look at that and say that that was a good look for the NBA. Um, 
And then uh, I think people, I think what Kerr is also referring to when he says that this was bad for the league was the whole situation about is he healthy? Is he not going to healthy? Is he going to play? How much time can they play him? The league mandating that they do play him. Uh, you know, the, that's all folks shirt. I mean, they, you know, the flipping off the fans. I mean, there was just a lot of stuff that went into that. that I, I think that if you look at it from its face value, I don't know how anyone could argue this was good for the league. Now, I think it, it was good in terms of driving conversation, keeping the league in the headlines. And at the end of the day, I think that the Lakers being a a a top story is always good for the league. So at the in the end, the result, I guess this is fine, especially considering Zion would have gone to New Orleans. But no, how that all went down was was not good. I don't know how anyone could argue otherwise. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I mean, that's why like I don't have a problem with Steve Kerr saying this, like. Whether or not you like somebody, whether or not you even feel like they're in a position to speak what they're speaking, if what they're speaking is something that you agree with or makes sense, then it's hard for me to really, you know, be mad or say, you can't say this. Someone else can say this and it'd be fine and it'd be accurate and completely factual. But then you can't say it because of what you your experiences with, with Golden State or your relationships with Alvin Gentry. I mean, look. Pardon me, the first thing I thought of, I didn't think about the Alvin Gentry thing, which is interesting, but the first thing I thought about when I thought about Perkins saying this, calling out Steve Kerr, is that Perkins is very close with Kevin Durant, who obviously has still some some animosity towards Golden State over his injury, and we've heard rumors over the last month since he left that he didn't get along with Steve Kerr over the last couple years. So... I mean, I'm sure Perkins has heard some of the stories. He knows probably that KD isn't isn't a, a fan of Steve Kerr. Maybe he's not fond of Steve Kerr. So, and we always, I mean, we know that. I mean, I'm sure there are people I don't like or sports figures I'm not a huge fan of that. Maybe that comes out in my commentary about them. Is that, of you know, maybe it's, it's, I lean it's, it's, a little more. I'm a little more cynical towards things that they say, yeah, things that they do. Yeah, that they human. do. You know, it's yeah, a, that's human. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a natural human nature. It's human nature. So. You know, like Perkins, not to discredit anything he's saying, I love Perk, but obviously he's not going to be the biggest fan of Steve Kerr to begin with, or at least I'm skeptical about his fandom of Steve Kerr. Uh, but what Steve Kerr is saying is not incorrect. I'm not a huge fan of Steve Kerr, uh, you know, like, I, but I'm not a huge fan of the Warriors. I'm kind of, I don't really care about him anymore. I wasn't really a fan of Durant's move, which then led to me not really liking that whole Durant, that Warriors team. So I was kind of like everyone else. Uh, now I really don't care about Steve Kerr, but... um. Regardless, I don't think he's, I don't think he's wrong. I mean, the 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 AD thing was it set a dangerous precedent. I think I don't want to say Jalen yeah. Rose said that said that earlier this week, and it, he's not wrong. You know, it set a dangerous precedent that you know guys can go out there, ask for trade. I mean, the Paul George thing, the AD thing was bad, but I think the Paul George thing was even spookier. That a guy would like that just signed an extension last year with a long term deal feels like he had the power to ask for a trade and get it done. A superstar. Top five yeah. MVP guy can come out and say something like that. So, now, you know, Paul George is saying, yeah, it was a mutual thing. Sam Presti. Sam Presti saying is not true. Yeah, he's saying, no, I didn't want to trade him. That's but That was the word when it happened. Sam Presti was very upset when they did it. Now, of course, you have your theory that the ownership, you know, was very fine with it. I'm sure they were. Maybe that's what he's saying is that. Yeah, I think wasn't... ownership was like, oh, yeah, get this guy out of here. Right. And, like, I think Paul George's concept, in theory, he's right. Because if it wasn't mutual, OKC okay, so didn't have to do it. There was some, they found a silver lining in the trade that made them do it when they did it. So, 
in that sense, it was mutual. But um, in terms of like uh, uh, pursuing a trade, that was that wasn't mutual. But um, but that was that was also scary. So I, I you know I think his singling out of the Anthony Davis thing is strange. But that yeah. was the more high profile move. Yeah. It's obvious. It was it was Paul George was that came in the 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 silence of the night. But this... Yeah, and I think I think the timing you, you mentioned the timing. I think that's important because, like I said before, uh, I think you make great points about Paul George. I didn't think about that. that yes, the idea that this guy just signed a new deal and then is able to get his way and go to the exact team he wanted and the exact city he wanted is pretty crazy. Um, but I still lean on okay. That's still the off season though, where you know right. a team has now Paul George is kind of demanding the trade in a weird time, but they had time theory, to recover. Seemed as a chance to recover and kind of come up with a plan to to move forward, and they they did. I mean, they 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 then decided, okay, well now we have to trade Westbrook, and they were able to you know, recoup whatever assets they got for Westbrook. When when AD did it, uh, it was in an attempt to cut the leverage from underneath the organization. It, to me, it seemed like I'm not. I don't want to say AD is a sinister dude, and, I, and this is, at the end of the day, this is basketball, and this is someone one that better their lives. So I don't think any of this stuff is sinister. But I think it was more cutthroat how AD went about his business than George did. Because George, I think, didn't really have that much leverage other than the fact that his team didn't get it done, quite frankly. I think if this team was a, a competitive, more competitive team, I don't know if OKC was going to be as willing to just give up. But because of what they did, and he probably kind of alluded to that a little bit, saying that, you know, hey, every time you get bounced out of the first round of the year, people are frustrated and you want change. In regards to why Westbrook and uh, PG could have possibly had either animosity or been frustrated with how the direction of the team was going, um, with AD it was a little different because he attempted to make a spectacle out of a situation that uh, in a situation where he didn't have any leverage in, in hopes of forcing the other team's hand, which is why I think Kerr is pointing to how this is bad for the league because again he he was trying to. Uh, embarrass an organization into trading him to the place that he wanted to go. So, um, and in the middle of the season, I mean, they're, they're, again, you could think of the the example of it. I, I can't think of the example of it. We've had a lot of recent guys demand trades, but almost all of them did it either before the season started, like Jimmy Butler, for example, um, Carmelo Anthony, for example. Um, Dwight Howard, even for example. Or, or in the offseason. Paul yeah. George, exactly. Paul George at the end of the season uh, in Indiana. so Or, like I said, or at the end of the, end of the season or in some, sometime during the offseason. So that's, that's the, the main difference is that you're competing with your team and uh, and, and with multiple years left you know, and look, on your the deal NBA, in the middle of the season, you decide, I, I, no, you got to trade me down. I've said on the show, the NBA handled that Anthony Davis thing in completely, I look, I think illegal fashion, but beyond the legality <laughs> of it, in in completely reckless fashion, by forcing the Pelicans to play Anthony Davis a certain amount of minutes in a way that wasn't organic, rub, led to, I would argue, almost a dangerous situation, having a guy out there playing for the home team every night, he's getting booed. Like, that, that was just a terribly handled situation by the league. Um... I don't even want to make money, but who really wants to watch an Anthony Davis play for 20 minutes playing on a team he doesn't want to play for, for fans that don't want to play him? It was a whole, that was a mess. So some of that is their fault. Um, but regardless, that 
they were they were put in. I think they handled it so poorly because it, they had never seen this before. So, Kendall, um, this this is the owners are not happy with this. They're apparently, this this situation is going to set up a showdown during this next CBA. Yeah, right? that and the and the, the 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 tanking, not the tanking, right. the, the the leaking. Yeah, the tampering and, and the leaking, the tampering, the tanking. In regards to this situation, what do you think is the remedy? Because I don't, because again, this works for AD, so I feel like it's going to empower other guys to, to to perhaps do the same. Um, I mean, in, in a way, you know, you could argue Chris Asperzinius kind of followed the AD playbook <laughs> in the middle of the season. You know, yeah, he, the Knicks just with him. Like we ain't yeah, waiting. Yeah, yeah with him, we're not letting this get public. Without yeah, trading him, and with them at least there was like, a, a, again, one year left on his deal or you know, half a season left on his deal. Uh, whereas AD again, you had two almost a two. I years mean, KP left was kind of the same because if he took the qualifying offer, like the Knicks had his rights, so you know it was a similar move. Like you, you spend two years, a year and a half in New York, or get traded, or trade. I think to me, I think that I, I don't know if I would. I think this is what they should do. But I think the only way the league could actually really uh, – the only way they could really legislate this, and to me, is if they just – I think that you should make the case that a player who publicly demands to be moved away from his team is in conduct detrimental to the team and then therefore would be eligible for suspension or fine. Um, I mean, they do get fined. If you publicly request a trade, you get fined. Which is what happened. I think, I think, but I think a suspension have, I think, would be that, a real hit. Yeah, I think that that I think that that penalty has to be levied much more. Um, it needs to be much more, just much more team heavy. friendly. Yeah, yeah. It just like it just. I I just think that these guys because the fact that like, eighty you know, looked at that a hundred thousand dollars or you know, you know fifty thousand dollars is just not going to be enough to make them get not want to get out of the place where they are in, in, in a lot of times senses in a. Position where you can make more money, but then in the, next the problem with that is that these guys are sophisticated. These teams, these agents, like it's like the whole thing. Of we're going to force the players to play, and then guys are going to start coming out with this low management stuff. It's the same. It's the same problem that we had three years ago, but they 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 found a way to skirt the rules. Like the only thing that's stopping what's going to stop guys from doing what Kawhi did. You're saying I'm I ain't playing. I'm hurt. You know, I'm dealing with an injury. Even though I want to get traded, I'm not going to tell you I want to get traded. I'm just going to be passive aggressive about it. And you can trade me because I'm not a good teammate right now, or you can keep me and I'm not going to play because I don't feel good. Like, what's going to stop guys from doing that? I mean, nothing. But I would argue that that is more. I'd argue that that is not as much of a black eye for the league as this. Like, I think if the league had to choose between what Kawhi did and what AD did, I think they would choose Kawhi because he kind of just he's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Which is, I think, in in a perfect world, is what the Pelicans would have liked. Yeah, done that's with what AD the league. They yeah, were that's that's the how league the league messed up. The they should have let they should have let the Pelicans do whatever the heck they wanted. Yeah, they should have just made them active for the rest of the year, or if that's what they wanted to do, which I'm sure they would have. It didn't end up mattering because they ended up still getting number one pick. Ironically. Yeah, which again, but, I, I have my own conspiracies on how that happened, but <laughs> but um, but. Yeah, so that would, but that would be, to me, that's the only way you really can legislate this. Is if you, you're able to say, okay, like, you know, you're suspended for X amount of games, and now, you know, you're talking about a much heftier uh, fine in terms of how much money you're going to be losing. Well, guys may hesitate to 
to publicly try to embarrass the organization the way uh, AD did. Yeah, it's it's it was funny is that like guys, it's it's wild because teams before wanted shorter contracts because guys were getting crazy long six, seven, eight year deals, and now guys are saying, all right, we can't get those deals, so let's get the three year, the two year, and the one plus one, and now all the players have all the leverage. I think the only and that kind of makes a good point. You make a good point there. That it, it kind of brings me to another kind of wild idea and for the listeners i mean i can't say that when i make these ideas i'm not saying that i'm even really in favor of them i'm just speaking to what the league could do on their side i i i i am very much for player mobility so i it would concern me uh whatever they did to try to curb something like this albeit i i agree with Curtis. this is this what happened ad was bad the other thing i can think of is perhaps if if you make a a trade demand perhaps you should be then eligible uh, to have to take a pay cut to go somewhere else. Like I think that if you if you formally tell your team I want to be traded, I think that maybe the league something all right. Well, now you you get seventy five percent of your salary for the rest of your contract. Like um, now that may actually help some teams in regards to uh, you know wanting to 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 take a guy maybe at a lower number. But I'm sure that player doesn't want to necessarily have to take less money to be traded. You know, like yeah. the whole the whole idea of being traded is that oh great now I get to keep all the money that I owed and go to the team I want. You gotta take one of you gotta take one of those things away from a from a strategic standpoint from an owner standpoint in the NBA. So that would be something too is like perhaps if you make a public trade request and we acquiesce the trade request to the team that you want to you want, well then you gotta cut eighty percent of your salary. I mean not eighty percent, sorry, twenty percent of your salary, something like that. And, and and let you know, okay, like if you if you decide to make a spectacle out of this, like, like you're the opposite get, of the trade kicker, essentially. Right, exactly. Like like you know, there are these guys who you know AD you know had a trade kicker in his contract, which is kind of crazy. Like if I and got traded, kind of, and I, also kind of why again, I don't want sinister is a harsh word, but like why that whole thing just felt. Yeah, it's like you got extra different. money for asking for a trade. Yeah, you gave it. You get, and you know, he turned it down, but it. Essentially, if he wanted to, he could have given himself a raise by demanding a trade. That should just that just shouldn't happen. That should never happen. So I, that would be the, the only way you can truly get rid of it. This. I mean, it's tough. The only way you can truly get rid of it is you start doing things like the franchise tag and stuff. But we like, can't do that. But you can't that's do that. The players would never. Yourself. Yeah, they would never do that, and it's it's a terrible concept, I think. But. Like, it's tough. I mean, the player is always going to have freedom, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and the teams are going to kind of have to, like, the way the players have always been able to, I wouldn't say one-up the teams, because the Players Association hasn't always been great, but the the way the players have been able to, you know, adjust to whatever rules, you know, have been put in place, teams have to be able, and the owners have to be able to do the same thing, or the governors, whatever they call themselves, have to be able to do the same thing. And... If this is the landscape of the NBA, you're going to have to find teams. Maybe Oklahoma City is being revolutionary. Maybe New Orleans is being revolutionary. Maybe Boston four or five years ago was being revolutionary when these teams acquired all these assets. Because now, you know, you have control of a lot of young players. Philly has control of a lot of young players for a, for a period of time that, you know, eight years of Embiid and Simmons, I mean, that, that seems worth it. And if Simmons leaves or if Embiid leaves in, like, three years, 
I mean, look, there's nothing you can do about that. But, I mean, that seems to be the model. Oklahoma City was always a, a, a lightning rod having two superstars playing in Oklahoma City. That, that yeah. in the prime of their career. That That's hard to do, hard to maintain, hard to sustain. Um, the best way you can do it if you're a small market team is through that model. The big markets in L.A., a New York, a Boston, those those cities, those franchises can build through star players because they have the money and they have the, the allure. But right. the smaller markets have to be a little more strategic in how they build their teams. It's, it's hard for me to be upset because, I mean, it, it's a disadvantage, but in some aspects you may be better off. So, you know, it's an interesting, you know, situation in the league. We'll see how they deal with it. I think there will be changes made to a lot of things, including the, the free agency calendar. Real quick, free agency should be before the draft. I think that's the only way. If you really want to get rid of tampering, make free agency after the season, like immediately. Because there's no, I mean, there's no point. That whole period during the draft season, quote unquote, is free agency. That's when free agency is yeah. happening. It's the, the the agents of these players can easily talk to teams because they're talking about quote unquote their players, their prospects. When we know there are also going to be conversations happening about their prospective free agents, so. The draft, and it gives teams a better idea of who they can draft. I mean, the Celtics clearing out, like, $20 million on draft night to sign Kemba Walker. Like, how did they know they were going to get Kemba Walker? You right. know what I mean? Why are they trading first-round picks to clear up, like, five, six, seven million dollars for a guy they could possibly get? It's because yeah, they knew they were going to get That's, you know, days before the draft. Yeah, dumping two first-round picks. Yeah. yeah. That stuff is nonsense. If you're going to do that, at least wait. At least have the draft. At least wait till after the draft. You know, at least have, like, the draft after free agency. So, I don't know. But, um, but regardless, uh, moving on. In the NBA, uh, or also in, sticking in the NBA, uh, the Washington Wizards have a new GM. Uh, his name is Tommy Shepard. He was the interim GM who ran the draft uh, uh, this past year, drafted Rui Hachimura. Uh, and in his first public comments uh, to ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, he came out and said that we are going to, in fact, offer Bradley Beal his full $111 million max extension for three years. Uh, Beal has two years left on his deal, um, and they haven't really, him and his camp haven't really uh, been very, uh, they've been vague. They've played coy about what they're going to, about what they want to do in terms of Washington. But uh, what do you think is going to happen, EJ? I mean, should Washington offer him this deal? They already have. Is this a smart move? And if you're Beal, do you want to stay in Washington? You know, do should. And last question, are there teams out there that you think should be making a run at Bradley Beal right now? Um, a lot of questions there. Uh, yeah. Starting with whether or not this is smart for Washington. Uh, I, I don't know. To be honest, I, my 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 gut tells me honestly no. I, it has nothing to do with Bradley Beal's talent. I just feel like with the, where their team is at, which is uh, to me going nowhere. I mean, they're they're, they're going to be another lottery team this year. They're likely to be a lottery team next year. Um, though who knows if John Wall comes back and he's 
85% or 90% of the player that he is, well, then perhaps they can make a playoff run, Oh, Beal entering his prime. But I just feel like this, the, the Washington run has kind of ended, and I, I really haven't seen Washington become a player when it comes to recruiting free agents, uh, recruiting big-name players that want to be traded there. So I just don't know how you really upgrade the talent pool with a contract like Bradley, Bradley Beal's on your books, as good as he is. I I don't know. I don't think he's a guy that's going to bring other players to Washington, and that becomes a lot more difficult with someone like John Wall still on the books, and he's not going anywhere. Uh, the only way they probably unload him is in a deal including Bradley Beal. So I I wouldn't offer him. I wouldn't want him really to take this, to be honest. I think that Washington is staring uh, down the barrel of a really long rebuild, and this is only really, uh, you know, ex- you know, it's only uh, delaying the inevitable. I understand from a, uh, a local standpoint, from a making money standpoint, that Bradley Beal is a star player who is uh, who is beloved by the Washington fan base, and and he's really their only ticket selling point. Though I do think Rui Hachimura is going to be a very good player for them, but right now he's still obviously just a kid. So. I, I get that why you want to make sure you keep your your homegrown star home. I still don't know what it does for Washington at this point. And um, as a as a as a Nick fan who who lived through the Carmelo Anthony extension, now that's a little different because Anthony Carmelo was at the end of his prime and entering what we now saw to be a sharp decline. Uh, but it's kind of the same principle that you know the Knicks offered Melo a contract that. Uh, he probably was worth based on what he had done for the team, but based on where the team was going, it really wasn't going to allow them to really be a player to do anything else of note that could help the team improve. And with the way the Beal thing is set up, it's kind of similar. So I, I, if I was watching, I wouldn't do this. If I was Beal, uh, in terms of what I think he's going to do, I don't think he's going to sign this. But... Again, this whole thing with Paul George and Anthony Davis kind of muddles the situation. I mean, Paul George really, as you said, really kind of gained the system by signing the extension and then demanding the trade. I don't know what stops Bradley Beal from doing that. I don't know what stops any player from doing that. I know this has kind of become an extension of the last conversation. But, like, why couldn't he just sign the deal and then say, I, I don't want to be here and blow up, another, blow up the organization? I guess For example. In the, in the past, it was you had no leverage. But as... AD and Paul Paul George have proven perhaps you have more leverage than than we thought. So especially uh, for Bill, I might consider signing it just because even if I have to endure maybe a year or two in Washington, I have to still get my way out of there. What what's what's interesting about that situation and those guys is that, and I I think you're right because people are talking about like should, when's Carl Anthony Towns going to ask for a trade or Devin Booker and like those guys just signed extensions, you know. But like what makes that interesting is that. I think in almost 95 to 90% of situations right now in the NBA, especially during that Warriors era, but now that we're, we're going into this new NBA Jam era of duos, like, I think teams aren't necessarily, I don't think teams have problems trading star players anymore. Like, if Minnesota, if Carl T. Town said, I want out of here, I don't think Minnesota would be like, like, wow, we can't replace you. Like, yeah, that means start, it's teams where the teams start the places where their stars aren't winning anything. They want to start over I, anyway, right? I don't think they mind as much. I agree. You know, like it's not like, ideal, but I think that they understand well. We can find. We'll get a crazy package for this guy. Some right, team is going to be desperate. 
Like, yeah. the, the the Thunder didn't want to trade Paul George, but they found the Clippers who gave him, like, 21st-round picks. They're like, all right. You know, like, if Carl Towns or Devin Booker ever went on the block, if Bradley Beal ever went on the block, you can get a package for it. You can find one of the 30 teams in the league to give you, one of the 29 other teams to give you equal value at this point in the NBA. If you trade them at the right time, there are certain times where you're not going to get equal value. You know, there are certain things maybe you look for, like the Knicks wanted to get cap space, so it was going to be tough for them tough for them to get the capital back, the trade capital back that they probably could have gotten for KP. But, like, these teams around the league are going to get what they want nowadays, which is different, which is, it wasn't how it was, that's not how it was three, four years ago. It was hard to get first-round picks. It was hard to, after that Nets trade, teams didn't really want to trade first-round picks. And, but now, for whatever reason, teams are, I think because the super team duo, you got to have a superstar era that we're in, these teams are now more willing to just say, we're just going to part with our entire draft future in hopes that this thing works. I mean, the Clippers, not to go on the Clippers too long, but the Clippers could literally not be good in three years if Kawhi and Paul George leave. Which they could. Yeah. They got two-year deals. So, it's a risk. And if they're bad and they don't have draft picks, I mean, this thing could really blow up in their face. But they're taking the risk. So, um, if you're Washington, it's interesting. There are two routes. I think both of them, they can go either route, depending on what Beal does. I think both of them aren't really great, but none, of the, both of them have upside. Yeah. I think if you keep Beal, then, I mean, I think he's good enough to be a franchise player. On a team, I think he's good enough to be the best player on a championship team. It's not Washington. You think right really, now. Bradley Beal? I think so. I, now I don't think I think I it has to be like in that. a very ideal situation. Like it's got to be like he's not the he's not the star player that can carry a team like Toronto. How but, many how many of those guys do you think are in the league? I mean, you don't got to rank them. You don't right, right, you don't right, gotta name all of them, them, but but like that, like they don't have to be, to be the best on, player on a championship team. Oh, it could be if, the best player on the championship team. If all if all the if all the cards were were in your eyes, in it's the interesting place. because not everybody that there are guys that are better than Bradley Beal. That I don't know if they could be the best player on the championship. I under, yeah, I, you I, know, I, but the way he plays because he's such a dynamic scorer and great shooter and closer, he may not even be the best player on his team, but he could be the leading scorer. For example, you know what I mean. So in that regard, I'd say it's about fifteen, fifteen to twenty. You know, like I don't think Rudy Gobert can necessarily be the best player on his team. He might be better than Donovan Mitchell, but like, you know, you got to have someone like Donovan Mitchell. You got to have someone like Bradley Beal. So like, I mean, it's I I, I think Beal has that type of upside. It's not Washington, you know, at least not the way they're constructed. Um, they're banking a lot on Rui Hachimura. If they think Rui Hachimura is a star player, then they'll be good regardless of what they do. I think it helps Hachimura more if he's there. Um, uh, yeah, I agree with that. I think because he can learn from Beal. Beal's an elite offensive player, which really has things he has to work on in offense that Beal could help him with, especially on the perimeter. Um, Beal's a good locker room guy, great veteran. Um, so I think he's a, he'd be a good influence for someone like Hachimura. Um, if they think he's going to be a star player, they could be a good duo. The Eastern Conference is not good at all. So... And it depends on how you feel about John Wall. Um, you don't feel great about John Wall, but you're kind of stuck with him to begin with. Um, and then how you feel about Isaiah Thomas, who isn't a long-term piece, but uh, what he can give you in the short term. In terms of 
if you're if you're Beal, um, I mean, I wouldn't want to be back, but I don't know what his what his personal situation is. I can't really comment too much on what I would do if I was Beal, but um, I think there are teams out there like Minnesota and uh, Miami that I think should really take a swing if they can. Um, but I don't know what teams out there do you think uh, should take a look at Bradley Beal. Um, the one team that came to mind that I think would be really intriguing and it's intriguing because of a move they made this offseason that also was really intriguing but a Beal for D'Angelo Russell swap is very fascinating to me wow. Washington is going to need a point guard and they need to get younger um, we don't know if Clay Thompson we, I mean, we know Clay Thompson's situation he's there but he's injured and as we said before on the show, I think Clay could definitely evolve into a small forward. And you want to talk about adding, uh, you know, another splash brother. Uh, I, uh, I mean, you got Beal, Curry, and, and Thompson. I mean, to me, the Warriors are right back close to where they were before this offseason, where they got obviously lost something a little bit with KD. And, um, and, and and all the guys lost AI, uh, you know, Iguodala and um, and Boogie. I, I that that becomes a serious team that I think is now right back in the mix to win a championship. I think a lot of people look at the Warriors as a you can't count them out because they're the Warriors team in terms of a championship team, but like no one really actually believes in them. If they could pull off something like that, where you know clearly to me Beal is a much better fit than. Russell is just on the surf on the you know from a vacuum just from a distance. I think that's a team that uh, has shown that they're 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 they can be aggressive when they need to be. I, I would keep an eye on the Warriors. Uh, yeah, you know that would I mean I guess I would imagine that would happen sometime during the year. Um, yeah, that would have to be you know that would obviously happen in the offseason. That'd I think the Celtics if if if. They don't really look that good early in the year, or if Brown and you know Smart or some of these guys don't really gel. Uh, I think that I could see them making that move, comparing him with Tatum and Kemba. But uh, I guess the only thing about these other teams like Miami and Boston, which who have been mentioned, uh, and um, and Minnesota and teams like that, is dude, the, none of those places is. Washington going to get an intriguing piece that they could sell to their fan base that also is falls in line with their rebuild. I mean, that, I think Washington, I like, yeah. That's why I really like the Golden State fit. I think Russell absolutely can be sold to their fan base as a rebuilding piece along with their young players and, uh, and you know, a guy who's, who's signed long-term that they don't have to worry about, you know, we don't think has to worry about, you know, trying to get himself out of there anytime soon. Whereas you know, if you go if you go to Boston, you're, you're you know you have to pay Jalen Brown. I'm assuming, Tatum, I'm, I'm assuming Tatum's off the off the board. So oh, you, no, no, you no. got to you got to try to re-sign Jalen Brown, which you should be able to do. But what's that going to cost? And how good is Jalen Brown? I mean, right. me and you think he's pretty good, but if he's not looking but, good, but if they trade him because he's not looking good, do you how much do you really want him? You know? Yeah, I mean? and also, I, can you sell Jalen Brown to your fan base? A Washington fan base that is uh, has no hope, quite frankly. Uh, right. The, you know, the, the Washington sports fan is one of the saddest fan 
fans we have in America. So I uh, now look, is Jalen I, Brown getting that, that those fans excited or anything. Like, I like is, is Bam Adebayo uh, getting those fans excited? I think like, Tyler Hero. I, if they could get him, like I mean, or Jalen Brown, like you know, like I think these teams have. I think these teams have equitable value, but I mean, trading Bradley Beal is a gut punch to the community because question. You know, they spent the last seven, eight years on this Wall and Beal backcourt. And the farther they could get the conference semifinals, game seven. Yeah, I mean that's a gut punch. And to, I'd also, um, to lose them I'd also, off of a trade and a and a and a injury, I mean that's that's tough. I also keep an eye out on San Antonio again. I know I was I was pushing for Russ to go there. At, at San Antonio, I think is going to be in the big star hunting very soon. And it's just going to be. The, Did I you see that the right thing guy, with right Kawhi fit. talking about? Uh, he tried to get Paul George to San Antonio, and that's that started the whole Kawhi Paul George stuff. And I wonder if that started the Kawhi I don't want to be in San Antonio stuff. Is like that him, him being unable to get Paul George there? Yeah, like say, Pop probably told him, "Nah, it's not worth it. I don't want to give up. Whatever I have to give up. I don't know if they had enough at the time, but regardless, if they felt they had enough." Or he felt they had enough. I don't know. It's just interesting. That's 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 it's fascinating. Because if they would have, if they, if you told me there was a deal that the Spurs could have got Paul George to pair it with Kawhi and they turned it down, uh, that's tough. Yeah, I, I know they probably I, thought he's going to LA, but that's, that's probably tough. the issue. Is that we, now we have two guys that we think are going to LA? <laughs> just one. Um, so that pro- that had to be part of the thinking was that we have. Two guys who are going to be free agents. Neither guy we think. Both guys we think want to go to the same place. So how do we? It's the same thing the Celtics kind of wrestled with with trading. And it's, it's what Toronto did when they did what they did. <laughs> yeah, like you know, and OKC. It's, it's and look, I'm hearing that, a lot of stuff about. Dice. I'm hearing a lot of stuff about you know, the that Toronto's like secretly upset that Kawhi left and so I mean obviously they're upset but they're like almost like pissed off that you know. Yeah, left at the altar was a quote I saw. Yeah, and I'm like, in Toronto organization. Look, I mean, one, you guys won a championship, so stop whining. But two, like, like you knew the you knew the risk that you were running by trading for him. This was this was the thing that EJ proposed, you know, well over a year ago that you could trade for Kawhi Leonard, give you a chance to win a championship, but it'll probably bounce in a year. And yeah. it pretty much went. As best as it could have gone with him still bouncing in a year, they won a championship. They, yeah, we knew that there was yeah. about a seventy-five to eighty percent chance he would leave, and we thought the twenty percent was well. If they win a championship, it's gonna be hard for him to leave. He still won a championship, and they, they still won a championship, and he still left. So look, there's nothing they could have done. They made the risk. It worked out. It wasn't a bad trade. It wasn't a spectacular trade, but. It was it was a very very good trade, very very. I mean, won him a championship. So in that sense, it was spectacular. But for yeah, the long term, I would say it was. Yeah, I, I would say this was still a spectacular. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how much you value the ring. If you value the ring, you know, I, I, you as a Knicks fan probably values it a lot. Saying, "Look, you can give me one, oh, I think, yeah, I, you know, Canada, I'll take it." As a country, as yeah, that was important for them. That ring extremely high. Yeah, that yeah that important that's that was important for them. You know, if you were in the business of trying to build a dynasty. You know, it wasn't a spectacular trade, but, you know, like, that's not easy to do. 
So if, if you told me I could win a championship and then we're going to stink for another eight years, I mean, you could. I would probably consider yeah. it. Yeah, I know the Raptors have been getting flack for, for, for this. I, I, I understand it. I, I mean, I, I understand, you know, I, I'm trying to put myself in their shoes. Like, look, you just won a championship. Emotions are high. Like, you know, it's almost like, you know, <laughs> like you're with, like, some girl and, like, you know, you don't know, you know, what if it's going to work out, but you're, you're together and you went on this incredible vacation. You flew all over the world and and it seemed like you did everything you could do to, to, to make that girl want to be your person or a guy that, you know, it could be any, you know, it, this is happens on both sides. And, um, and, and at the end of the day, while you knew that, you know, there's a chance that maybe this wasn't going to be long term, it still hurts when it does, when that person then confirms Nope, this is not going to be long term. I'm going to bounce. Uh, I I understand it. I understand people are like, oh, you got to ring. It's like, yeah, but I mean, like what Kawhi did for the community, what Kawhi did for the country, I I can see feeling like, wow, like we did everything we could to show this guy that we were a championship organization, that we were a city and a fan base that were worthy of a star like this, and he still decided to go to Hollywood. I'm always I'm going to understand why you would feel a way about it. I'm not saying that that means that Kawhi did the wrong thing or that um, that they didn't know the risk. I that I totally agree with. But them feeling bad about it, I don't. I, I understand it. I, I don't. I mean, their team is now like irrelevant. Like they're the most irrelevant champion probably since the 2011 2012 Mavericks. Like you know, and the Mavericks didn't even have like a. Well, they did have. They lost Tyson Chandler the, the next yeah, year. Yeah, that was like intentional. They they they, gave, they blew up that team. Yeah, like that. I mean, like, and as someone who rooted for that Dallas Mavericks team, who roots for the Dallas Mavericks, like, yeah, that that like it kind of like I think it kind of hurts their legacy moving forward. That like it was purely a one off, and nothing happened after that. Yeah, and I, th- I look. I think the, after that championship, you know me. I think the Raptors are going to be a little are a little underrated. Yeah, um, but. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. Uh, it's it's going to be a major what if, you know, in terms of, one, if Kawhi State, if Kawhi State in Toronto, but also if San Antonio had uh, had taken that risk. But uh, shifting gears to the NFL, um, tra- NFL training camp is, under a way, is underway. Uh, two things are always very anticipated when it comes to NFL training camp. Uh, it is the, the debut of the new, uh, of the old faces and new faces and new places the rookies and the guys that were moved in the offseason um and the second thing is holdouts and drama um in the case of this offseason we've had plenty in this training camp we've had plenty of drama already plenty of holdouts uh in situations um you know Le'Veon Bell uh obviously the Jets new uh star running back uh, finally back in football after a year off, uh, holding out last year in Pittsburgh. They're already dealing with some controversy. Uh, he's dealt with plenty of controversy over the summer. Um, you know, EJ, you could obviously explain more than I could about Bell's, um, I guess, his his, his lifestyle. And not yeah. necessarily uh, a negative lifestyle, but, you know, just a lifestyle that isn't 100% football. He's been getting criticism for that, and he kind of went on a rant Um Essentially, essentially calling out, you know, the the concept that he has to only focus on football. He said, "Somebody work at Target. Do you think they work from nine to five? They go home and all they doing is worrying about putting <laughs> bleeping things on the shelves." 
they 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 trying to worry about what serial number is coming up? No, which is a funny line. But he says, "You think LeBron <laughs> is wait? Idea, wait, hold up. The idea that some dude was target is like in his sleep, like dreaming about serial numbers. Yeah, yeah. It's just I, the look, funniest visual. I how, think I've look, had how does Le'Veon know they don't? Show? Does Le'Veon have retail experience? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> but uh, he goes on to talk about LeBron. Says, "You think LeBron is waking up and he ain't he ain't having no Taco Tuesday?" Bron, he said, Bron don't have Taco Tuesdays. You think he's hooping all day? You think Beyonce waking up singing all day? She don't go to work. She don't act. She doesn't do nothing with her kids. She's just waking up singing. So Le'Veon Bell dealing with his issues. Uh, moving on to Odell Beckham, uh, Cleveland Browns new wide receiver who clearly hasn't completely moved on from a situation with the Giants because he was uh, he had a you know big article in GQ this week uh, and. Or that was released in GQ this week. And he said, talking about the Giants, uh, and talking about the trade, he said, my initial reaction was not disappointment. I felt disrespected. Like, ev- after everything I've done for them, this is me being, like, every, this is me, this is me being honest. This team has not done, has not been good for, for the last six years, period. Even the year we went to the playoffs. Uh, he said, I felt disrespected because I felt like I was, uh, I was the main reason at keeping that brand alive. They were getting primetime games. As a five and eleven team, why? Because people went to see the show. You want to see me play? Uh, he says that he still has respect for owner John Mara, uh, but that he wishes that there would have been a face to face meeting explaining uh, that he would be traded, uh, and that a text from his coach, um, and that and that a text from his coach saying, "I just heard the news." Well, after the word got out uh, about a trade, uh, was what bothered him. Um, and lastly, not to skip over uh, Ezekiel Elliott, um, he was not on the plane uh, <laughs> to go to to go to LA uh, for training camp. Uh, the word is that he's talking about holding out. Uh, I might as well throw in Melvin Gordon. He's another guy, star player, is asking for a trade apparently, or he's holding out. He wants a new contract. Um, which one of these, EJ, do you think is the biggest issue, and which one of these do you think is kind of a non-issue? Um, the biggest issue to me, uh, is probably the holdout situations. Um, I know you spent, you know, you kind of, in your summary, you kind of spent the least time about it, but I think that, uh, the Cowboys and, uh, by the way, both guys want contracts. Like, you know, yes, Zeke has two years left deals. on his deal. Uh, I believe Gordon, is he one year? I think he has one year. Yeah, left. I think he's one year left on his deal and he wants a new contract. Zeke, I would say it's unprecedented, but. I mean, it's it's a it's a strong move to go out there with two years left in your deal, saying I want a, I want a new contract, or else I'm not playing. So, you know, just to you know, survey the the field a little bit. Yeah, I think I think the contract situations are are probably uh, most alarming for those teams because when you look at it, those teams are probably uh, teams that you definitely consider as Super Bowl contenders, um, especially the Chargers. I mean, the Chargers are absolutely going to be one of the teams you look at in the AFC as a potential Super Bowl contender along with the uh, Patriots and the Chiefs. And the Cowboys, you know, there's always a lot of hype around the Cowboys, but they, they look to be the favorites in the AFC East again, and uh, that they're, they're going to go for those teams. They're going to need their star running backs to, to reach their goals. So Ezekiel Elliott... I think there's an obvious issue with the idea that this is a guy who continually 
find himself in some kind of off-season situation now demanding people commit a lot of money to him. Right. I, I, don't, think gonna work. I, I don't think it's going to work, honestly. I, I, I don't think that Jerry Jones is going to budge. But I also feel like Jerry has a soft spot for Ezekiel Elliott that I understand the guy is your best player. <laughs> so I'm drafting yeah, the number four. Yeah, I, I would feel like, you know, a way about him, you know, considering that he's my best player and he, he's going to be really the reason whether or not we win on the field. And, uh, you know, my whole life, and my you know, my life's work and, and money is invested in pretty much his success. So I get it. But, uh, but like, for that reason, I could it wouldn't shock me if Jerry wanted to take care of him. But I don't know if that would be smart. And I think that at the end of the day, Jerry does have uh, – he has decent football people around him. I think that the Cowboys kind of get a bad rap of being like this circus. Yeah, they're a smarter organization. Yeah, I, I I don't really get it. <laughs> really, since his son has like really, you know, been a major you know voice in the front office, kind of just as much as his dad. You know, they've really become a more you know in tune with what is smart in, in football management. Yeah, I don't I don't quite understand that um, that narrative. So. I think that that they should not sign him. I think that they should make him uh, say you're really not going to play with two years left on your deal. Like I, I just don't see how he would do that, especially a player who is so um, unpredictable in terms of what kind of trouble he may get himself in. That's not someone I'm going to immediately just throw a lot of money to. Now, if he was in this last year, that's a little different. But that's a game of chicken. I think that the Cowboys should be willing to play. The the Melvin Gordon thing's a lot more serious to me uh the Chargers don't have a you know uh, uh a james connor sitting on their on their bench so <laughs> they they can't afford to not have Melvin gordon this year they have to have him. so gordon has a lot more leverage um but i don't know the, the cowboys the last time they didn't have the why i leave on bell and it's just the deal just decided hey we'll we're okay throw the with, season yeah yeah throwing the season because we're not gonna just let a guy just dictate how we're going to run our organization. I, I don't know if that worked out for them now. Uh, so, yeah, they so still don't have Le'Veon Bell. That's the decision they made. Yeah, they made the playoffs. Yeah, and, and they're a team that is, you know, now apparently in decline. So at the end of the day, uh, those to me are, are the are the big stories. Though, in terms of the Le'Veon Bell thing, in terms of his, his, his rant, I found it, in, I found it funny because... We do have a little bit of an issue with that, I think, in terms of our fans, uh, in, in terms of how we, uh, you know, judge a player's commitment. Because, as Terry Rozier said, uh, uh, them, you know, Instagram and social media workout videos don't mean nothing when the real when the wartime comes. They, they don't make you a dog in wartime. Yeah, they don't make you a dog in wartime, and and because we don't see, you know, a video of Le'Veon Bell. You know, running through hills, running through the hills of Los Angeles or Miami, where he works out, and you know, uh, you know, weight lifting weights and stuff. Because we don't see that, like we just assume, oh, he's not working out, he's not doing the right thing. I mean, he showed up at camp today and passed the conditioning test twice with the Jets. Uh, he ran it twice, which, if you know anything about NFL conditioning tests, it's pretty impressive. Like they're not easy. To say the to pass it in involuntary, say I'm gonna do this again. Not something that. uh NFL players want to do, let alone the regular athlete, Joe Schmo. So, um, this idea that Le'Veon was, was not focused on football was kind of ridiculous. 
So I get his his frustration with that. So I really had no issue with his rant. I, I can understand being like frustrated by hearing this over and over and over again. And I kind of, especially considering, to be honest, like, and I know Jeff fans may hate me for this, but like, and to be fair, I don't feel like a lot of this would people were Jets fans. I think a lot of these people were just NFL fans who were, like, giving them a hard time. Uh, but if, for the Jets fans that were giving them a hard time, like, the Jets haven't done anything. Like, I don't know. I feel like I would want to give a guy a chance before I jump out the window and say, hey, you're not working hard. Like, he signed the team. Uh, we, we've had questions about whether or not he really wanted to be here and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, he's a New York Jet. And he's the best player we've had offensively in a very long time. I, I can't even remember a player as good as Le'Veon Bell offensively. The last guy I would put in his in his you know elite status. It seems kind of ridiculous that based on us not seeing social media workout videos that the Jet fans are going to just now get all over him. So I thought that was a little ridiculous. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Odell? Yeah, no. I mean, I I you know you talked about those the holdouts. I'm actually going the opposite. You know, I think the holdouts are a natural thing in, in the NFL. Um, I, I think uh, they happen. I think teams are prepared for it. Uh, I think the teams are being smart. You know, I think running backs are just not a good investment in their prime long term. So, you know, I, I think the Steelers, they took a risk, and it really didn't work. But are they better off for it? I don't know. We'll see how Le'Veon plays over the, 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 the course of his contract. But, um uh, but focusing on those other two guys, I think those are more of the issue, even though they seem like tame, kind of, you know, minute issues in in a vacuum. You like Odell talking about, you know, the Giants in a GQ interview and, you know, taking some shots at them, and you know, and the fans or whatever. Like, that's that stuff's not, it's not that big of a deal in its own right. And Le'Veon going on some rant about, going on some social media rant about how, he doesn't always talk about. He doesn't always play football. And he's not football twenty four seven. Again, minute in its own right. But when you talk about who the players are, what they've done over the last couple of years, it really is not a good sign for the Jets. I don't really have a problem with Le'Veon singing or doing whatever he does on social media that's not related to football. But when you go on the rant. And he's a guy that we already kind of question his where his head's at, <laughs> you know where he, you know how, where is his love for the game? Where, you know where is you know what kind of shape he's in? These are all questions that people ask about Le'Veon Bell, and this is the conversation we're having. That's not a good time. We're talking about a guy on a new team, in a new city, and a city that is not gonna mess around and wait for this guy to 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 produce. He's like if he if he gets off to any slow start, that first game he gets 50, he has twenty two carries for for sixty eight yards. He's gonna get ripped. They're gonna say this guy is out of shape. We knew it. All those crazy videos he was posting. You know he's a nutcase, and <laughs> the Jets were overpaying him. Like so that is for me the concern. It's not it's not the the video isn't the end of the world, but yeah, you know it sets a dangerous precedent for what could be to come for Le'Veon Bell. If this is how he's going to react to even the slightest bit of pushback. <laughs> you know, I, it's not like this has been some, like, thing that's been talked about every day. I mean, I don't listen to New York Sports Radio, but it's not being talked about every day in the national media. No, I don't, I don't yeah, I don't think New York media has really hit him on it. 
Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So he's he's shining a light on something that's not really even there. People aren't really <laughs> even seeing. So, I mean, look, he better ball out. And both these guys can ball out. On Odell, it, what worries me is, again, another guy, where is his head at? You know, like, he got traded. I don't know if this is what he wanted. He claims it's what he wanted. He claims he didn't want to be there. Or he, was disapp- he wasn't disappointed. I don't know what. I don't know what to believe, but where is his head? At? Where is his his head at? And also, I I just don't buy some of these comments talking about. Yeah, like I, you know, we didn't we we weren't good when we made the playoffs. All right, that's a stretch. If you want to say, you know, but he he said, you know, like. People only watch because of me. You know, I was the brand. We were getting primetime games. We were 5 and 11. I don't care about that. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Maybe you guys shouldn't have been on primetime. Blame the NFL. But that, it, whether or not it was because of you or not, that doesn't mean anything. The Cleveland Browns are going to be in primetime because of you. But if you're, still winning five, if you're still winning five games, that's nothing to be proud about. It's nothing to say, yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm Odell Beckham. We, we, were on Nash, we were on Sunday Night Football eight times this year. We won one of them. But I'm Odell. Like I, that doesn't that doesn't mean a thing. Uh, the Giants, I do think it was. I, I thought that Eli's uh, response I thought was just perfect. Um, he was like, and uh, uh, talking about them, he said, "I don't think they bothered me in terms of Odell's comments. You just kind of shake your head and laugh." Uh, I won a few games before Odell got here. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> I, I thought he won. A, he won a few big games. <laughs> he yeah. has two rings for them. He's talking about like. You know, like, he was the only name brand player on... Like, one, you played for the New York Giants. You weren't playing for the... You weren't playing for the Denver Broncos. You the Jacksonville Jaguars. Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not like... They were gonna, they're going to be on national TV regardless. Yeah. Two, again, they had Eli Manning on the team. Two-time Super Bowl winner. Brother of Peyton Manning. Future Hall of Famer. Like, they were going to be on national TV regardless. They're going to be on national TV this year. Three, you want to know why they're going to be on national TV? They got Saquon Barkley, which is why they shipped you out of town, Odell. They realized we don't need you anymore because we have a guy who's the face of the franchise, who's talented enough, just as talented as you, if not more, that plays another skill position, who can be an attraction. So, no, Odell, you didn't. You, you, they didn't want you, they didn't need you, and they moved you. But, move on. Talk about Cleveland. I know he's hype about Cleveland. They pro- he's probably asked about New York. It's not all his fault, but, yeah. like... The pot shots just didn't need to be taken. And it's just, like, for a guy that, at his age, at this point, um, and we talked about it, I believe we talked about it last week when we were talking about Zion being out of shape, or, you know, we talked about a guy getting to a certain age, they start to mature in the way they, they go about their business as a pro athlete. Like, at what point is Odell going to mature and say to himself, this stuff, just, like, it's, it's not, there's stuff bigger than this. This stuff bigger than what I what happened with me with the Giants. I'm trying to win a Super Bowl. Let's talk about Cleveland. Let's talk about winning football games. I don't really care about that stuff. But no, he's got to be the guy that's got to take the the pot shot and get the last laugh. You haven't even won a game in Cleveland yet. What happens if your team goes six and ten or seven and nine, which I think is very possible? Then what's ha- then what happens? Are you gonna start blaming Baker? Because I'm the I'm the prime time guy. I'm Odell. I mean, don't yeah. look at the stats. I mean, look, I don't know. I mean, Odell, when it comes to him speaking on the Giants, the only reason why I don't mind it really is because at the end of the day, the Giants, uh, 
I felt Gellman for sure took pot shots at Odell on the way out, saying, you know, you asked him, well, did you guys have a character issue or control a problem in the locker room? He said, not anymore. Um, they, they, they took their fair share of pot shots in terms of trying to justify their trade. Like, I, I, I think they were kind of with the anti-Knicks, um, which is kind of shocking, but I thought the Knicks, in terms of how they, you know, the, the Daily News will tell you otherwise, but I, I thought the Knicks were, were fairly fair to Porzingis in terms of... It's a die route. Yeah, they, they really, you know, yes, there were some reports that were leaked out, but in terms of direct quotes from Mills and Perry, I think that they were pretty respectful of KP on the way out. Uh, that really wasn't the case with all that back. So I can understand him wanting to get this off of his chest. I do feel like uh, he comes off sounding extremely shallow and selfish, to be quite honest. When you're yeah. talking about, you know, we're on national TV because of me and we were a 5'11 team, like, I don't know, like, as a fan of, again, the Knicks and the Jets and the Mets, uh, teams that I see play on national TV all the time and be embarrassed, and the embarrassing performance the Giants have had on national TV, the idea that he's hyping up the fact that they were at least on national TV, but that they were still losing, uh, that's something about that rubs me the wrong way in a way that is kind of surreal to me. Um, uh, the reason why I, I say that this wasn't as big a deal because at the end of the day, none of this stuff really matters because he's on a new team and, and what happens with this team is is, is going to be now really what all that all that's important. But I, I do feel like it is a little concerning in terms of what Al- Odell's focus is going to be. Um, is his focus purely about being an entertainer and, uh, and being a guy who brings eyeballs? You know, I, I know in this piece he said he wanted to pass up Jerry Rice for the all-time uh, receiving record, which, you know, that is football-related, which is good. I think that that's a, a great goal for him to set for himself. But when you're you're talking about, you know, primetime games and stuff and, and being this uh, brand, that I, I don't know, care about that, that, that. That's, that. That scares me a little bit. I'll be honest. I mean, that, to hear him talk in that way, I, there's a lot of money being thrown around in the NFL, so I can get it feeling like, man, I'm making this guy matter a lot of money. A lot of money. We had these great conversations, and you know, Duke came and told me he's gonna trade me after all I've done for him. I, I, I get where he's coming from, but it just I, I, I do have to wonder about like where your head is at if you're talking about you know the the, the there being some kind of benefit from the fact that yeah we were bad, but at least I got you primetime games. I, I, to me, that 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 should that should not give any player solace or, or feel like a, a you know some kind of achievement. The fact that Odell kind of wearing that as a cap, uh, no, as a feather in his cap, seems bizarre. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've never heard something like that before. I mean, anybody in any sport. Imagine if somebody said that in the NBA, the way it's covered. Like some guy said, "Yeah, well, I know we don't have a good record. Look how many primetime games we got. It's because of me. I'm the star player." Now, obviously, players in, in, the, in football can't control the outcome, especially a wide receiver, as much as players in other sports can. But it's still like, come on. And that's a, that's kind of why I think it's so. Dis- some of it's kind of disturbing is that like he separates himself from the idea that his team was bad. Now, you know, he takes ownership of the fact that in that playoff game he didn't play well, but then he also mentions that I only got seven targets, even though he dropped the ball like three times in those right. uh, targets. 
But I mean, he, he does acknowledge at least the playoff game that he didn't show up to play. But I think again, like kind of separating himself from you guys were five and eleven. But look what I brought you. It's like, well, no, you were five and eleven, dude. You were on the team. You 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 didn't uh, do enough to get the team uh, ready week to week to play the right way. You didn't do enough on the field to change the outcome of those games. So the lack of regret that his team wasn't good and the fact that he just kind of put it on the team again, it's just kind of it's kind of it's bizarre. It's it's bizarre to me. Receivers are a different brain type, so I, I give them a lot of rope. And I'm even going to give the Odell some rope in understanding that. But uh, but yeah, the comments were they were they were weird. <laughs> describe it. They were they were weird to me. Yeah. Um, moving on to baseball, um, we have, we have some interesting uh, situations going on uh, in the in the major league uh, or in in major league baseball. Um, we have obviously the trade deadline. Major league baseball trade deadline is coming up. Uh, it's on July 31st uh, this year, um, coming up in about a week. And uh, two teams that obviously we follow a lot, uh, the Giants and Mets, are in very awkward positions when it comes to what they do at the trade deadline. Uh, the Mets right now sit at 47 and 55, uh, 12 and a half back uh, of the Braves in the, uh, in the division. Um, and there's talk that they could be moving Noah Syndergaard. The word right now that they're hoping to move <laughs> Noah Syndergaard, according to Buster, only. Um, and we and there's there there's real you know kind of friction skit there's a schism but uh, amongst the fan base about whether or not they should trade someone like Noah Syndergaard. Um, the San Francisco Giants, the team I root for, uh, started off the season horrifically like we did last year. Uh, but unlike last year, we seem to have turned it around because uh, in our uh, in our last twenty one games we've won seventeen, um, and at this point we're fifty two and fifty one. Uh, I believe only three games out, if I'm not mistaken, of the wild card. So the San Francisco Giants are a team that, if you'd asked me going into the season, Madison Bumgarner seemed very much on the trade block. If you'd asked me two months ago. Uh, I would have said we have to trade Madison Bumgarner at some point. And look, that's coming from a guy that loves Madison Bumgarner. The guy won us, what, two rings? He's a uh, beloved figure in San Francisco Giants lore and history. And I thought he had to go for the betterment of the of the organization. Well, now we might be able to make the playoffs. We're playing great baseball as good as anybody in the league. So, EJ, you tell me. What the Giants should do with Madison Bumgarner, I'll tell you what the Giant, what the Mets should do with Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, the Giants sitting at, at three and a half games out of the wild card right now. The, the wild card is so fascinating because you know even the Mets, who you mentioned, are you know so playing so poorly this season. Um, still only eight games out, which is not insurmountable. Not a couple of days, yeah. a couple of days ago, I mean they 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 just got their clocks cleaned by the uh, by the Giants, but before that series, they were five games out. So, yeah. Uh, the, the NL is so bad, quite frankly, that any team that's not, you know, the Marlins kind of has a decision to make in terms of do you blow it up or, you know, do you try to make a run at this? So as far as the Giants are concerned, I, I think that they should look to make a run at this. I, I really do. I think that the Giants are a team, you, you know, maybe that's concerned that they're peaking a little early, but I, I would not 
trade uh, someone like Madison Bumgarner, I would try to, to see this thing through. I guess for me, yes, the Giants are probably staring at a uh, rebuild anyway, kind of regardless of what happens this season. But when you're comparing Bumgarner to someone like Noah Syndergaard, for example, Madison Bumgarner a little older, um, I don't know exactly what he's getting on the open market in terms of uh, what kind of prospect can you get because of his age. Um, he's you know, going to be 30, so he's not ancient, but he's a guy who definitely seems like he's past his prime. Yeah, hasn't been spectacular this season. He's been yeah, he's been, he's been fine. But he's he's been good. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's been good, but not not the guy that we saw, you know, who just couldn't be touched in the World Series. I, I think that the Giants should do something to try to add to what they've done. Um, no, nothing to, to really mortgage the future. But the NL is so is so up in up in the air. And I think the teams that are uh, teams that are at the top, I think that they all can be vulnerable when it comes to the playoffs. I, I don't think that the Giants uh, in a series of um, Maybe with the exception of the Dodgers. I mean, the Dodgers definitely seem to be a team that's going to be difficult uh, to, to face in the playoffs. But uh, I don't think that the Giants uh, in a matchup with the Cubs or a matchup with the, the Braves would just be so outmatched by those teams. I think the Giants will be able to compete. The baseball, kind of anything can happen in the playoffs. So I, I, if I was the Giants, no, I would not trade Madison and Bumgarner. I would actually be looking to try to add to what we've uh, what they've uh, what they've established these last uh, this last month, really. Yeah, uh, let me. I'll, I'll I'll get to the Giants, but let me uh, talk about the Mets real quick. I I feel like the Mets are in a interesting spot because a lot of it. I think there is. I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs. Um, no, no, based, no, yeah, it, it, no one does. It would be unlikely. I didn't think Giants were the Giants had a. <laughs> in I believe in like June we had a zero point one percent chance to make the playoffs. Um according to, you know, one of these, you know, indexes, one of these metrics, and now we're up to, like, 6.7, so still not great, but, I mean, the way we're, we're certainly trending out, we went from having no shot to having a shot, so that's something, I think the Mets are closer to that no shot range, but it's still not over, um, the word is that they may try to extend Zach Wheeler and move Noah Syndergaard, what helps the Mets is that, and why I think it may make sense to trade Syndergaard is that they have a cushion, really two, but especially Jacob deGrom, that allows you to say, look, Syndergaard is a premium. He He's a luxury to have someone like him as, as essentially your number two or a guy that can be your number two um, who's an ace talent so and can get you a return they can get you the return of an ace pitcher, especially with the the brand recognition that he comes with and the, the name recognition that he comes with. Um, like Odell said, he's prime time. <laughs> they put they, the people watch the Mets because of Noah Syndergaard. Um, so that is that is important. Um, and then having someone like Zach Wheeler as well, if you're able to keep him, gives you that bit of cushion. The one reason I would be skeptical if I'm a fan of the Mets is – we don't know what this front office is going to do. Like, have they given you, EJ, as a Mets fan, any confidence that they can pull off anything that makes sense? That Brody no. and this front office are going to do something that you trust? Like, yeah, they, they have the right move. No, I mean, every move they've made this offseason has been an unmitigated disaster. 
right. uh, the Cano Diaz trade disaster. Um, and the prospect they traded now is one of the top prospects in baseball. So that was a mess. Um, the, uh, you know, Jed Lowry can't get on the field. I mean, it's just, it's just I mean, Brody has completely struck out in his first offseason. And I like Brody. I, you know, I, I think that he's great with me. I think he's great with the fans. And I think that um, he, he gives me the impression of a guy who's very unsatisfied with uh, mediocrity, which has not always been the case with the people running the Mets. So he he, he intrigues me in that I think that he'll be aggressive in trying to fix it. But no, I don't feel confident that they'll make the right moves to, to actually fix it. Yeah, and so that is what gives me pause if I am a Mets fan. Um, and it's not, I mean, that's not really the right way to go about it. Like, if you're actually Brody, say, look, of course. I can't make a move because I'm, I'm not good. So I'm yeah, not I'm incompetent, so I'm not going to make the move I think I should make. But it, it just doesn't give you confidence in what's going to happen. Yeah. It might. It really doesn't give you confidence either way. They can keep him, then you're not going to be certainly uh, confident. But at least that's a safer move. You know, Syndergaard is a player that, you know, like, you know, it, it, he hasn't been spectacular again, but isn't a scrub. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's been able to stay healthy, and, you know, when he is healthy, very, very obviously explosive pitcher, uh, great stuff. It's just, is he worth it on a team that's not that good when they can really that's, improve yeah. their farm system by moving him? Yeah, I mean, the Mets badly need to improve their farm system, especially considering they gave up their top prospect in the the really now awful Cano trade. I thought that um, trade looked crazy at the time. I was like, Rob, yeah, I mean, I, Cano I, I coming off a lot. good year, but yeah. I don't know. Man. I gave him a lot. I gave him a lot more rope for it because I really thought Diaz would solidify the bullpen, and he's been at the center of this bullpen being a complete disaster. And he may end up now being on the way out this uh, this trade deadline too. You're, you're, in terms getting, of, uh, you're giving flashbacks with Duaner Sanchez. And Armando Benitez, those days. Well, Jordan Sanchez was good before he <laughs> got into a cab in Atlanta. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. That changed his entire career. Really, I, you could argue that changed the landscape of the New York Mets. Like the Mets, they went to the World Series afterwards, so I guess you could say they did eventually recover. But I still think the Mets story would be totally different had he not gotten in that cab. Anyway, uh, long story to get into in terms of what happened with Jordan Sanchez years ago, almost a decade ago now. But in terms of uh, in terms of Noah. Look, Noah, it's interesting because I look at Noah. Noah's had a, a I, I think, a disappointing season. Um, I would argue he's had two disappointing seasons. I know last year, by the end of the season, the numbers end up looking like Noah Syndergaard numbers. But how he got there, I think, you know, kind of, it kind of, you know, it's almost like a mysterious illusion in terms of how good he actually pitched because when the games were meaningless, he then turned it up and pitched really well to end up looking like he had a great season. Syndergaard scares me in terms of trading him. I feel like he looks like the kind of guy that he would go to another place with a better pitching coach and a better, uh, you know, you know, infrastructure, and he figure it out and become a Cy Young winner. Like I had no concern with that about that with Matt Harvey, and turns out Matt Harvey's still a disaster. That would concern me about Noah Syndergaard. It's why I think the Mets are smart to be asking for uh, premium prospects for a guy like this. Guys who throw 100 with his kind of stuff, just they just. They exist now because a lot of guys are going 100, but there's just not a lot of them. So, uh, so they they they're right to try to want a, a premium package regardless of what his stats look like this year. But I have that concern in terms of they're trading him and deciding to keep Wheeler. Uh, Wheeler to me is is not as consistent. He 
the Wheeler ceiling is just nowhere near Syndergaard's. I've seen Wheeler at his best, and Wheeler can be good, but not an ace-type pitcher. And the idea that we would sign him long-term and get rid of Noah, who has a much better ceiling, is not necessarily something I would do. But I also have grave doubts that Noah's ever going to figure it out here. Because yeah, I, some guys just need like, to change doesn't the seem scenery. like he will. Yeah, some guys just need to change the scenery. Exactly. Um, he seems like one of those guys to me. For me, with with the Giants, I think Bumgarner. The Giants are interesting. I think the the Giants at this point, I was all in on trading Bumgarner. You know, about a month ago, I was like, "This is fool's gold." We should still trade him. But at this point, seventeen out of twenty one, it's tough to deny that's a strong trend. And I don't know if we're making the playoffs, but I think the Giants are in an interesting spot where I think. Look, two years ago, um. The the Giants we went after, or two off seasons ago, we went after John Carl Stan, biggest free agent on the market, uh, and Shohei Otani, second biggest free agent on the market. Missed out on both. We were pretty close. I mean, well, John Carl wasn't a free agent, but we tried to trade for him, uh, but he he didn't he he didn't he had he had a no trade clause or whatever for whatever he didn't accept a trade. I think it was a no trade clause. Um, and Shohei we missed out on. Um, but we were close from what, from all, all reports last off season, we go after Bryce Harper, uh, seemed to be like we were the other team that he could have gone to. It seemed like he was always going to go to Philly, but you know, we were, if, if the Phillies were, were the Clippers to Kawhi, we were the, we were the Lakers <laughs> the team that were used, uh, for leverage. But regardless, we, we went out and tried to get Bryce Harper for whatever crazy money that the Phillies, uh, apparently offered. My point being, and Forbes just this week came out with a their sports uh, franchise value uh, rankings, and the Giants came in as the fifth most valuable franchise in baseball. So yeah. my point being is that if you keep M- Madison Bumgarner, you have to say to yourself, all right, we're a big money organization. We have to move like a big money organization. We have the last two offseasons, even though we struck out on guys. We've tried, but we haven't. That haven't really been the Giants' mo to get a major free agent. No, you know, how, a major player. They, they, ha- they haven't been how we operate. Last major guy we brought in was Barry Bonds, for the most part. We've had guys in trades and stuff, but yeah, like I would say Barry Zito. Yeah, yeah, Barry Zito. I would say I would agree with that. It's the last guy we got, you yeah. know, especially in free agency. Um, that was that major big money spend, and that didn't work. It worked yeah. awfully. He won. He won the World Series, but it wasn't because of Barry Zito at all. Yeah, he did it coming out of the bullpen. Yeah, we did it in spite <laughs> of Barry Zito's crazy contract. So, yeah. look, and, and part of you gets flashbacks to that and says maybe we just should go away from that model. It didn't win us a World Series, but if if you're already at this middle point, you have to go either one way. You got to go all in or all out. And at this point, if you have the money, you can go all in. A team like the Kansas City Royals in this position have to trade Bumgarner because you're not you're not getting better. You're not gonna unless you're willing to spend the money, but you don't have the money to spend. The Giants clearly have the money to spend if they're willing yeah. to spend it. And they, they've been willing in recent years. They they've, yeah, they've guys shown. Taken it yeah, yet. exactly. They've shown that willingness to try to spend the money. I don't know who the next free agent is that's going to be that guy to spend the money on. I don't know if it's this all season or the next, but. And they're showing on the field that they're not that far out. It, in hindsight, it was probably ridiculous to even go after someone like Harper when we were, I mean, we were the worst team in baseball last year. Right. 
right. we were only we were only signing him to be average. But yeah. you know, if we're a eighty something win team this year, we barely missed the playoffs. Could that be? Could that last guy be the next step, or could that next guy be the last step? I should say in a playoff return for the San Francisco Giants. That's what I'm weighing. Um, Farhan Zaidi, our new GM, comes from the money ball, Billy Bean, you know, tree. So you wonder, is that really what he wants to do? But he also tried to get Harper. So, and people didn't think he would do that because we thought he was a money ball guy. So who knows? We also know, you know, Bruce Bochy's in his last year. So there's going to be a transition period for the Giants. So I don't know. A lot of interesting things to talk about. But nevertheless, both teams... Uh, will be both teams and both fan bases will be anxiously awaiting that July thirty first uh, trade deadline. But um, we are now getting to that point of the show, EJ, for uh, who's flame and who's trash. It's been a while since we've done it, but we're back. Uh, yep. EJ, I'll let you start. Who's flames for this week? Yep. So quickly, uh, my flames this week is uh, the NBA and TNT for understanding when uh, an experiment has failed and. The experiment that failed was the players only uh players only that, baby yeah the players only uh broadcast that they did during that throughout the season which uh there was no play by play uh guy or no um studio host for their coverage of the NBA during certain days throughout the year where it would just only be former players driving the bus um that has not worked and the NBA and TNT have decided that they're going to scrap the players only for uh, this season, and it's to uh, look. I love the former NBA players. They they really bring great perspective, and it's it's great that they we have them. But at the end of the day, as someone who works in television, like you, just, you have your talking heads, and then you have your anchors and playoff play people, and they work Cohen. They work side by side, and and these player own players only broadcasts just were, were too sloppy they were too uh freewheeling and and they really didn't bring the kind of insight to the fans that 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 the nba and tnt had hoped just because i don't think that there really was uh they weren't it wasn't produced well enough quite frankly and then also again you they were missing uh key elements of of just what makes a sports broadcast um watchable and listenable those players only broadcasts were tough to watch uh, I, I didn't mind them as much as other people did. Like, other people just couldn't stand. I know you're someone I think kind of hated them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't hate <laughs> it. it I, I, a lot of times I joke about, like, it, it you was kind of about lame. how bad it is, yeah. Yeah, it, it was more so, I just didn't like the people they put on there. Not to blast the, the talent at, you know, Turner uh, and NBA TV, but, you know, there were, there, were, there, there, were other, there were some nights and some telecasts that were better than others. Some were very, very poor. Yeah, but, so it, it just it just was an experiment that that just, just didn't work. Yeah, and sometimes you got to you know the NBA. I think is you know it's 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 become a three hundred sixty five day sport, which is why we're talking about it in July. Um, they've done a lot of great stuff, and they deserve a lot of credit. But this just was not one of them. So they're flames because they 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 acknowledge that, and you know they could have tried to once again fit that a uh, square hole, squid that, fit that square block into that. Uh, circle hole or whatever. I totally blocked that. Round, round peg in a square hole. There you go. Uh, they could have totally kept doing that, but it said that they they understood that. Now nah, we got we got to kill this. So they're flames for that. All right, uh, flames for me this week. Uh, Zion Williamson. Congratulations. 
finally signed his shoe deal. He's the biggest sneaker free agent on the market. The biggest, I would say, since Kevin Durant. Um, back when he re-signed with Nike, but almost signed with Unarmor. Actually, did sign with Unarmor, but Nike matched his deal. But Zion Williamson has signed with Jordan Brand. Um, essentially, he signed with Nike. I'm see, I've been hearing people saying, you know, he should have signed with Nike. I'm like, he did sign with Nike. They chose to <laughs> position him with Jordan Brand. But regardless, is that how that works? Is that how that works? Or does the? I mean, like, I mean, Zion knows. He knows what he's doing. Like, he could have been like, I don't want to be Jordan Brand, but you know. Nike, I think, found it valuable for them that he could be he could be with Jordan Brand rather than Nike, okay. because they already have a whole roster of guys. It would have been tough for him to, and maybe Jordan Brand or maybe Zion looked at the Nike roster and said, "It's gonna be tough for me to shell out my own thing when you got Greek Freak with a new shoe and Giannis, oh not Giannis, uh, PG and Kyrie and LeBron, whereas Jordan Brand doesn't have as many guys." But that's what's interesting about this is that Jordan Brand is not a company that has put out. A lot of great shoes, or a lot of great signature shoes for guys. Mellow's had a couple of good shoes that were popping for a little bit, but I mean, think about the guys. I mean, D Wade was a big Jordan Brand guy. I believe he had his own shoe. You know, Mellow's had his own shoe for a while. CP Westbrook. Do people? I mean, I'm not in high school anymore, but do people still wear those guys' shoes? No, I mean, when I or do people me ever wear it. those guys' shoes? I mean. I, when I was in high school, nobody wore the CPs or the Mellows. No. You know, like, the people not wearing the Mellows after, like, the first two or three. Like, I don't, th- I don't think anybody's wearing the Westbrooks outside of playing basketball. So, like, this is why this is going to be an interesting case study. Because Zion's the biggest rookie to enter the market since LeBron. Will he get his own shoe? I would imagine he would. Uh, which would be revolutionary for a rookie to get a, his own shoe with Jordan Brand. But... Will Zion sell shoes in a way that other Jordan Brand athletes haven't been able to do? Something I want to see, but it still flames that, you know, I'm glad he's with uh, a big brand like Jordan Brand. He didn't go to, like, Puma or he didn't go to um, some Chinese brand or something. That would have not been smart, even if they're offering the most money. Sometimes it's about exposure, and that's what Jordan Brand is going to enable Zion to have. So uh, I think this is going to be a good partnership on both sides uh if zion's good <laughs> you know but for, for in the short term i think it'll be a good uh uh certainly a, a good partnership for both sides as i as i told you when we texted i think that this is the, their biggest signings on the jordan brand since carmel anthony yeah um, i think that uh and i got carmel anthony has really been their only successful athlete in terms of like in terms of how they sold his shoe i mean mellows run with jordan brand in Denver is was was I thought very successful. Um, ironically, he went to the Knicks. I, I think that it really it never really took off the way we, we expected it would have. And every guy since then has just not worked. CP3 has not worked. Russell Westbrook has not worked. Um, Dwayne Wade has not worked. Those are some of the greatest basketball players we've had Blake Griffin. in the last 20, 20, 30 years. Blake Griffin. I I, I don't know. I mean, I I think honestly just. People in terms of Jordans, like they just they're not when they want it, when they're going to get Jordans, they're not thinking about getting some guy's shoe. They're thinking about getting Jordans. Right. Which is why the the team Jordan sneakers never go. Why I think Jordans had issues with selling their new line of sneakers, their yearly line line of sneakers. I don't, I don't know what year they're on, thirty or twenty nine, whatever. I believe we're getting to thirty three, thirty four. Yeah, whatever they're on. Like those sneakers, those don't sell anymore. They used to sell better. Uh, 
years ago. But now Jordan is so far away from playing, I think people just want to wear the sneakers he wore when he played. So they're going to have continue to have an issue. But this is going to be an interesting case study because this is definitely the biggest attraction for uh, in terms of sneaker free agent in a very long time. So if they can't get this guy right, obviously, of course, it does hinge on Zion playing well. But let's say Zion is what he was at Duke at the very minimum. They can't get this guy. Yeah. Right. I don't know if any, I don't know if any athletes should be thinking about signing Jordan Brand. So I'm interested, I'm interested to see where this plays out. Yeah, EJ, um, tell us what's uh, tell us what's uh, trash this week. So trash this week. Um, I gotta go with uh, I gotta go with Taylor Lewan from um, from the t- Tennessee Titans. If you guys don't know, he is a uh, a top uh, offensive lineman, multiple time a Pro Bowler. He used to play at Michigan, um, left tackle. He's been. Uh, he announced this week that he was suspended uh, for four games for performance-enhancing drugs. He says that he took a supplement that uh, he did not know uh, was in his system, um, but that obviously the NFL rules are that uh, you know you are responsible for whatever is in your system. So we're also of intent. You know, you're still eligible to be suspended. I'm making him trash because I don't know anything about his uh, about whether or not he knew what he was doing. Um, that's not really for me to say. I know he obviously says that he failed a drug test, so that is the only evidence we quite have. But the way he tried to get ahead of this story, Kendall, was just cringeworthy. I don't know if you got to see it, but he essentially he posted a video, video to Twitter, and I gotta I gotta pull up the visual just because it was so bizarre but uh, he posted a, a video on twitter and his social media essentially saying that he was um going to be suspended so he's doing it from inside what looks like a trailer i want to say or uh, uh some kind of like a rv uh with this neon sign in the background saying the boys and he 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 tells his, his you know his sob story of how he got suspended and what happened he has he, he does the whole fake thing where like you have cue cards and you say I have these cards that I'm supposed to read but I'm not going to read them because I want to speak from the heart. Any guy, first of all, any guy who's ever done that, it's all that 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 is is the most phoniest move ever. Anyone who has cue cards right. and throws them away and says I'm not using these because I want to speak from the heart was totally prepared to do that. That is not a impromptu moment. Someone watched a bad rom-com and said, I gotta do that one day if I get in trouble and then they're doing that. Taylor Lewan apparently thought that was a good idea to do that to explain his drug suspension. He has the whole, at one point he acts like he's about to cry, which I don't know if he got emotional, he could have got emotional but to me, like it, it just looked ridiculous because you're shooting this from this RV with this neon sign in the background. You say you have these cue cards for this very emotional moment that you're not gonna go to because you're so emotional. Then you you try to, you almost like you're about to break down in tears about it. It just, to me, it, it looked awful. I don't know if his agent put him up to this or if this was just him. I don't know if Telewan has a has a fan base where he does these videos from these these uh this RV. You know, maybe it's, it's you know in 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 line with his brand in terms of him maybe being a YouTuber or something. But this was not the way to announce that you're you you got popular using steroids. He just looked. He looked crazy to me. Um, he's already a guy that has been flagged for character issues from his time at Michigan. Um, he's been in the league now for four years, so that's not to say that he, he can't he, one that those allegations were true. 
and that two that he you know hasn't grown up from that. But this seemed like a real red flag. It, 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 it to me he looked like the kid that got in a lot of trouble and is now uh, with bad advice and, and poor resources to explain himself. Is trying to his his best to explain himself, and it looked like this: you're in an RV with a neon sign with cue cards are thrown away, and you're breaking down for a, a, a situation that, at the end of the day, was all your fault. So, Tara Lewan, uh hopefully you get back on the field. Hopefully uh, you're able to figure out what the situation was uh, so you don't get popped again for steroids. But the way you handled this, trash, bro. Yeah. Uh, you know, Taylor Lewan, I, I give him a pass because of the uh, the very flames uh <laughs> you know, response he gave <laughs> Josh Norman he went in his face and did a celebration. That was that was savage. But uh nonetheless, um trash for me this week, EJ, is the uh the FIBA World Cup USA training camp roster. Um it seems like there's a lack of patriotism within the NBA. Not saying the guys in the NBA don't like their country, because I'm sure they do. I'm sure they love America. But as much as anybody can, I guess, in today's day and age. But um, with that being said, uh, we've had a tremendous amount of dropouts from this USA training camp roster. Uh, names like Damian Lillard, uh, names like uh, Bradley Beal, uh, TJ McCollum, yeah. Kevin Love. I mean, you can kind of go down the list of any and, great player. Andy Davis, Davis, James Harden. James Harden, yeah, any, all the best players that were on the initial list. Are no longer there. I mean, the best player on the roster right now is probably Kemba Walker, um, and Donovan Mitchell, and Jason Tatum. Like those are like the the, the attractive names at this point. Uh, Andre Drummond as well, but you know nobody except for Harrison Barnes is on the the training camp roster that has Olympic experience. Uh, it's alarming if you're Greg Popovich, if you're Jerry Colangelo, and the people at Team USA because. The world is catching up. I've seen a lot of jokes out there that, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, they lose all these guys. USA is still going to win by 17. You know, like, they've added, you know, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, Julius Randle, uh, J.J. Reddick, Montrez Harrell. They've went out well, there. They found yeah. guys. You know, select team. Well, Montrez, Montrez Harrell actually is now. Uh, he claims he doesn't want to do it. Or he claims, yeah, I'm not going to, I ain't showing up to the tryout. If you want to put me on the roster, you can put me on the roster, but I ain't going to be at yeah, the training camp. And um, and and now he's being called Montreal Harrow. He's supposed to be here because of his uh, unwillingness to want to represent uh, the yeah, U.S. Yeah, and that's what's wild about this. That's what's trash about this. That all these guys, like, I mean, in what world is like Montreal Harrow saying, I don't want to play for Team USA? That this isn't going to help There's his brand. Some, Kendall, something is afoot that is not being reported. I agree. I do not. I do not buy this. Oh, we think we can win a championship. I mean, yeah. Kevin Love thinks that he's gonna win a championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Kevin Love could really? could not could like Kevin Love could do way more for his brand by playing in, for Team USA than he can for playing for the Cleveland Cavaliers. There's not. There's something is a foot. Yeah. There's some underground like tension, and I don't know what it is between the players and the association. I don't know if it's Popovich. I don't know if it's. A money uh, Kevin, situation. I, I, I have a feeling that Kevin Durant's injury, something about it, is still uh, is 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 ruffled is, some feathers. Yeah, I I I I, I wonder if There's some reverberations. There are people who are who are thinking about uh, you talked about load management earlier that perhaps they're, they're they're realizing, man, like the amount of minutes I've been playing, not just 
you know, in the NBA, but also like now people are kind of starting to look back at youth basketball and AAU basketball and how that has affected these guys' injuries. Our players starting to look at their careers more like these NFL players who say, okay, I can only take a certain amount of jumps. Uh, you know, I can only be out there, you know, a certain amount of minutes. So I, or, you know, I, really, <laughs> I really put my, my career at risk because of how fast the game is played now. Because because this whole thing that and the excuse everybody's saying is that they think they win a championship. That just it doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense because so many of these guys are playing on teams that have no chance. So if something doesn't make sense, that means something else is obviously a foot. We just don't know exactly what it is yet. And I'm hoping soon someone will get the scoop on why all these guys are pulling out. But yeah. I think Team USA in terms of fixing it, they just gotta say, hey, you ain't playing in the Olympics, you don't show up to the World Cup. I yeah, one hundred percent. And guys would play in this thing. Yeah, because guys want that Olympic exposure. You know, like I like Kemba Walker. You know, obviously I love him. He's a Celtic. That guy's a hooper, man. He doesn't care. He's like, I'm a play. Donovan Mitchell. Much credit to him. Jason Tatum, Kyle Kuzma, Andre Drummond. Assuming you guys don't pull out, which is the Kyle Lowry still hasn't pulled out. He's having thumb surgery. How you know? Shouts out to those guys who are. Kyle Lowry plays in another country. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? He has no kind of ironic. Yeah, <laughs> right now he's just as much allegiance to Canada, but I mean, it's it's a it's 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 a shame. But again, I I, I caution the people that are laughing this all, saying Team USA still going to win the gold. They don't realize that these countries are getting better, and oh, these Ser- Olympics. Serbia, Serbia, to me, I would make it Serbia is the favorite to win this. I mean, it'd be the guy the second best player in the tournament. If Giannis is the best. The Joker Yo, is the second. Clearly the second best. They got and a chemistry. He has a real roster of NBA players. You know, Tia Dosic was killing Team USA last time they played in the Olympics. Uh, you know, obviously Boban, NBA starting center in some situations. I mean, they're going to have some players. Um, I I feel like them, Greece with Giannis, Slovenia with Dragic and Doncic, uh, Canada is gonna have an NBA roster that they could feel. Uh, those you can't, you, you can't, you never uh, rule out Spain. Can never rule out Spain. Yeah, they're gonna have they have a squad to some level. So this is, I mean, this is not gonna be this walk in the park that people are making it. These competitions have gotten harder and harder over the years. That that stacked 2016 Olympic roster dealt with Great. many issues and many tough games. And that's something that if that team had problems and that team, you know, didn't have a walk in the park, what's it going to be like for a team without an NBA Finals MVP or without an NBA champion or without, you know, multiple all-stars? Going against the the world, which, again, is getting progressively better. We're now three years into the future where, again, the world continues to get better and better. Nigeria could put out half of an NBA team out on the court. They might put out half an NBA team out on the court. So this is not going to be the walk in the park that people think. I would be shocked if Team USA got out of this undefeated, and it would be a huge credit to Greg Popovich and the players on this roster. I still think they'll win it. They're still my favorite, but I mean, I just wouldn't... I, these games are going to be fun to watch. I'm actually kind of glad. Because now it's oh, like... Yeah, now, yeah, this is like pretty much an even tournament. Yeah, it's a real tournament It's all now. played out, yeah. Like, they can lose. I don't have to watch and be like, uh, they're going to win by 50. Why am I even watching? Like, now we're really going to see what is Donovan Mitchell like in this type of situation 
Like, these are going to be real minutes. Jason Tatum's going to be playing in real game, high-pressure situations. I mean, this is going to be fun. Um, but for Kendall's Court this week, uh, I'm going to get us out quick. Uh, Taco Tuesday is in session in Boston. The, the Celtics <laughs> have signed my guy Taco Fall. Obviously, EJ, we watched him uh, a couple times live at Summer League. Uh, he was certainly an attraction. Um, and when we made our YouTube videos about it, uh, we talked about he's probably going to make the roster. You know, you mentioned the marketing potential of someone like Taco Fall. I mean, it's it's certainly appealing. So uh, he made the training camp roster. Um, not a two-way deal. It's a full. We have no guarantees. We don't know what is in it right now. But we assume it's a roster spot. So if he, they don't cut him, which should be hard to imagine they would cut Taco Fall at this stage. It's just it, it just seems like it'd be disingenuous to the fan base to cut him at this at this point. Yeah, I mean Taco, uh, he might be the he might be he's gonna come into the season maybe the most recognized undrafted player in the history of the NBA. Yeah, more or less. I mean, it sounds crazy, but I mean this guy was by far uh, once Zion was gone. The biggest attraction at Summer League. In terms of fan reaction, fan engagement, the only guy that came close was R.J. Barrett. He was the number three pick in the draft. Everyone else, it was obviously Taco Fall. Yeah. And 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 just his story has just really become uh, a story that's, that just all sports fans have really become uh, aware yeah, of now. With, yeah. Yeah, and enamored with. I mean, he's he's a unique guy. Obviously, you know, seven foot six, seven foot seven, um, with a crazy wingspan. He can dunk without jumping. Uh, he's also a really, uh, really, you know, by all accounts, a really good kid, really uh, engaging kid, um, who's really taking this kind of uh, cele- instant celebrity in stride. Uh, so I, I felt like it was it was, it was they need to sign him. I agree. It would be surprising to me if they cut him just because of the, I mean the Celtics are going to make money off of this kid and um, in ways that you know other that 15 just, men aren't <laughs> yeah yeah like you just that, that you would never even dream about for a guy who's a 15th man on your bench but this is what's going to happen and he and if we're being real on a basketball level he's he's a a dimension changer that is not even out there in the league no yeah so why no, not give him no a money. shot when especially since your biggest weakness going into the season is going to be interior rim projection with Ennis Cantor as your starting center, why not have Taco fall on the roster? He may not yeah, play. It, it, if he proves midseason he's not an NBA player, then you can cut him. But the uh, risk is so low right now. Yeah. So And to me, Kendall, if there's any coach who can figure out how to make Taco <laughs> Fall work, it's going to be Brad Stevens. Yeah. Yeah, one hundred percent. If he can't make it work with Brad Stevens, then I I, it's I have my sledding for him. Yeah. But if there's a guy who can figure this out Brad can, and I tell you what, I'm I'm not gonna bet against the kid. Um, he moves, he just looks, he play moves and looks so much different than any other guy I've seen that seven seven yeah or seven six. The other guys, uh, you know, Sean Bradley, Mirasan, Mirasan. Oh. I mean, they were so lumbering and so fish out of water to me whenever I watched them play. Um, I mean, honestly, the only other guy I think that I would put him in his class. Now he's not, he's not. 10% the player, but Yao also is kind of like Taco. Right. Where, like, there's no... It's kind of bizarre how well they move and how coordinated they are. Like, Taco... big. 
for Taco's me, Taco's extremely coordinated, extremely. He's a bigger, sleep footed. He's a bigger and much younger Boban. You know, like Boban also has some of that. Like, is bigger, like is, is nimbler and more skilled for somebody that sh- that at his size should be. Mm-hmm. But Boban's only seven three, which yeah, isn't yeah, no, that crazy. crazy. But like, it's not that big of an advantage. But if you're seven seven with the wingspan that this guy has, this guy also has an abnormal wingspan that. Yeah. Makes him even more special than someone like Bolivar Marjanovic, who's still, you know, a top, probably a top 30, 35 center in the league. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to, I hope he makes it. I, I'm really, I'll be rooting for him. Don't be surprised he's playing in, in some games this year. No, because, yeah, because Brad finds a way to get everybody in that roster. Sometime. At some point. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, if he's, if he ends up getting rotation minutes at some point in the season, no, that would not surprise me. That'll do it uh, for this week's episode of New Generation Sports Talk. Um, you can find all of our shows here at the New Generation Podcast Network uh, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Um, you know, you can follow EJ at uh, Instagram at Action EJ and on Twitter at EJ underscore Stewart. Uh, you can follow New Generation Media um, on Instagram and on Twitter. At, I believe, what New Generation Podcast on Instagram. Yeah, New Generation Podcast on Instagram and New Generation Pod on Twitter. You also find us on Facebook, New Generation Media. There you go. But uh, for EJ, I'm Kendall. See you guys later. Ciao.